Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and welcome to part two of our Unscrewed conversation on sex and mental health. Last time we heard from the wonderful Joellen Nadi about her own personal experiences around sex and depression. You should definitely listen to that episode if you haven't. Um, but I wanted to get the professional view as well, and so... We have a professional with us. Shadeen Francis is a marriage and family therapist with a specialization in sex therapy, and she has generously agreed to come talk me through all the different ways that sex and mental health inform each other. Uh, Shadeen, welcome to Unscrewed. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So as you know, the first thing we do all here on Unscrewed with our guests is put them through the lightning round. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. So what has been making you happy this week? I've been daydreaming a ton, which is super fun for me. I had a birthday last week. and Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, and so I treat those uh, the way other people tend to treat like New Year's resolutions, except without like all the shame stuff. Uh, so I just start waxing philosophical about all the possibilities of my life and get really excited about them. Lovely. That sounds great. Okay. What is some of the best sex advice you ever received? Ooh, um, that I get to decide when the sex was good. Oh, and not your partner. And not my partner and not like a magazine uh, because I didn't put like a donut on anyone's penis, which was, <laughs> <laughs> which was real advice. Like I can't make oh, this Cosmo. stuff up. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you know where it came from. <laughs> so you read that article too. Also, um, if you put a donut on someone's penis, you have to tell them that penis can't go in your vag or you're going to get a yeast infection. Yeah. And like also like between donuts and other things, like how many people are still having the sex if I also have choices for donuts? <laughs> like it just, on so, on so many like, levels, it just feels donut. like, yeah, it just feels like an unnecessary level of of competition <laughs> at the moment. Like, <laughs> I'm too Gemini to make these decisions. And I don't even like donuts that much, but <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, just so real. I just recognize that like food or fucking, like why would you make me choose right now? Yeah. The food and fucking thing always seems like a sexy idea because you've seen it in the movies and stuff. But like in reality, it's like weird and sticky 
And then I just get anxious about yeast infections. Yeah, and my my family's super Caribbean, so like you're not even allowed to wear your outdoor clothes inside. So the idea of like putting <laughs> food anywhere near your bed would be like horrific. I could Although... just, it would just take me way out of the moment. I would hear like my mom. It's it wouldn't be it wouldn't work. I'm gonna be super TMI here, although this is my show, so like what the fuck is TMI? I did <laughs> once date a guy who was from the Middle East and went savory with hummus. Oh. And I have to say, like, it worked really nicely. I could just imagine, like, everyone's wheels turning at home. Like, people are, like, opening up their fridge and being like, we don't have to go sweet. We could use the guacamole. You don't. Hummus. <laughs> this is very worse. <laughs> Hummus and dick tasted good together is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the sweet is competing against the umami flavor of bodies. And, like, maybe we want to think savory. Let's all keep that in mind. <laughs> this this might be somebody else's like <laughs> lightning round. You know, what was the best advice you got? Use the hummus. <laughs> and then you have less Go risk savory. of yeast infections on yeah, top of it, which is always true. the thing I obsess about. Anyway, how did you learn? Who Our taught you experience. that you get to decide when sex is good? I actually don't really remember. I used to have a lot of conversations about sex uh, growing up. Folks would sort of come to me and just sort of want to process that in like a non like intrusive way. I think folks were just looking for, you know, other people who cared about the topic. And for whatever reason, I had some sort of, you know, Kate Kenfield talks about being a beacon of permission. And I think I've often existed in that way in sex space. And so it just kind of manifested in a conversation I remember where I was, but I don't remember who I had it with. It was high school and I was an athlete and um, it was before a track meet. And I just remember sitting with all these people who were older than me and someone just happened to say it as just like a very casual throwaway comment. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) That's awesome. Those moments that rearrange your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What has been making you maddest or saddest lately about sex and sexuality? in the world. I don't get mad as often as I would kind of like. I, I like the feeling of anger. It makes me feel sort of powerful. Sad, maybe the just constant commercialization of objectification. Every time I'm like scrolling uh, a social media thing or if by some chance I run into a person with cable, just how we s- live in a society that sells this idea that sexy is a thing that can be purchased Mm. and, and should be desired in the way that they're selling it. It just makes me really sad because I know that nothing sells without a market. Yeah. And so just knowing that there are folks on the other side of these products who are thinking that this is the thing that they need to experience the world that they want to have for themselves really just, it just makes me very sad. Yeah. Well, and always the idea of sexy in those contexts is defined so narrowly and almost everyone is excluded from that in order to make us want to purchase shit. Well, yeah. Yeah. Exclusivity sells, right? So if if it's hard to attain, you will always be seeking outside of yourself. And so just the way that enters into our relationship space, whether that's relationship with other people or most importantly, our relationships with ourselves, just watching folks make money off of our internal disruption and and self-hatred and shame um, just feels super sad to me. Yeah, for sure. All right. What is the biggest sex myth that you used to believe, but you don't believe anymore? 
that vulvas are complicated. Like, oh, see more. I, like, yeah, people are always saying things about like the elusive orgasm or <laughs> you know, f- you know, female anatomy, blah blah blah, which is totally exclusionary language. I recognize, but like, it's not like the reason we know so much about penises is because people with penises started all the research. Yeah, did all the rest of the research. It, I promise it could not be that hard. It can't be that hard. It can't be that hard. It's not. We just need to, we just need to spend more time. Yeah. And the folks who have figured it out usually are, be, are able to say very simple things. You know, we don't know what brings people pleasure. Like, well, first ask them. And if you're not sure, maybe start with the clitoris and then work your way outwards. It's yeah, not, not not that difficult. Well, and and one of the things that drives me up a tree. I, in fact, I have like a whole fucking chapter about this in my latest book. Is like the idea that all women like ha- share a specific operating manual, so that you don't ever have to ask a woman, an individual woman, what she individually likes. Yeah, like I had someone once upon a time explain to me the value of the alphabet, like on your body, and I'm like, that sounds like something. I'm not interested in. I like, no, it's have... no, it's great. Believe me, I... I I know lots of people who like that. And I'm like, like that means nothing. I'm telling, I'm telling you, <laughs> please do not have a spelling bee with my genitals. I've definitely tried it. It's weird. I mean, you know, it's pleasant. Somebody's doing stuff down there, but like, it's d- d- there's never a rhythm or a path. Like, it's a little distracting and chaotic. Yeah. Like. like- like, couldn't you just just do the thing that I asked yes, you to do? <laughs> no, God, they have to talk to you and respect that you're a person. Then I know what women want. Ugh, yeah, that's bullshit. All right, last lightning round question: uh, Name someone who you think is doing really brave work to unscrew the sexual culture. Oh my goodness, I'm gonna cheat and do a cluster of people. People do that. Um, that's all right. <laughs> I'm going to say all of the queer and trans people of color, centering specifically indigenous people who are continuing to really put their lives on the line um, for speaking their truths uh, by calling in and out all of the things that are happening, you know, in, in the world. I think existing on the margins, you see and hear things first before many of the rest of us even know that that's the thing that has been going on um and so i i am in so much admiration of and owe so much to everyone who is using their experience to to really share with us the maybe underbelly of all of the things that we're sort of celebrating in our culture or not paying attention to excellent cop out (laughs) (laughs) thank you i'll take it therapy and clinical training has made me very good at dancing around a direct answer (laughs) excellent all right well you survived the lightning round very good (laughs) so this is a big question and i i framed it that way on purpose because i got a number of different questions from listeners about the relationship for sex and mental health and i think the place that i want to start is i think that we tend to assume a very unidirectional relationship like if your mental health is suffering your sex life is going to be suffering right like I suspect that it is not quite so unidirectional. No, I, I don't think that we have such like a linear relationship really to anything. Yeah. 
everyone's body, everyone's brain, everyone's context is going to be different and unique. And so wherever you find yourself on these spectrums of, you know, wellness and desire can fluctuate from moment to moment and absolutely are different from person to person. So I actually still have an amazing sex life personally, right, with anxiety. Anxiety actually makes me very sexual as sort of an escape mechanism. <laughs> and I'm like, life is hard, go to sex. It's comfort food. Yeah, yeah. and that's a really real experience. And I, I try and, you know, even though therapists are supposed to be these like neutral bodies, I try and center my own experiences in these conversations so I'm not outing anyone. But then there are also folks who anxiety might shut them down. Everything feels overwhelming and too complicated, or they just can't stay present enough to experience their full potential of pleasure. That's me 100%. When I'm anxious, I am much less able to have sex. Yeah, and all of it is normal. And all of it is within a range of usual and typical and expected response. And that happens for any other experience that you might be having, whether it's something that feels depressive, where it's something that feels dissociative, where it's something related to trauma, whether it's something related to mood or larger personality stuff, you know, whether it's related to psychoses, the way in which we do and, you know, feel are so fluid that it would be too difficult for us to say, you know, this equals this. Yeah. So I know that... A lot of people's mental health challenges have been exacerbated by the current political realities that we're all living in, I guess I'll say. Has that been your impression in your own practice? Yeah, I remember, you know, last January and and February of um, 2017. And really the work that I was doing for maybe three and a half months solid was a lot of like crisis management. A lot of folks were having really strong trauma responses to the shift in political office uh, and the realities of what that meant. A lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, uh, and strong symptoms that look like PTSD, right? Mm. The experience of this overwhelming traumatic experience. And it really honestly was that for a lot of people And so how have you seen that affecting your clients' intimate relationships and their sex lives? I think because we have this larger kind of narrative, you know, that there are all of these ways in which we're taught to put certain things above one another. And so when we think about like the hierarchies of our lives, even though we you know, are in a culture that uses sex to sell everything and that everything we believe about our body is supposed to root back to sex, that when it comes to some of these larger, like, political issues, that all of a sudden, like, sex isn't supposed to matter. Yeah. And so your relationships in some ways are not supposed to matter. not saying that your relationship is just about sex, but that, you know, you have bigger fish to fry. Like when your mental wellness is off, you're supposed to like devalue the experience of sex as if sex for a lot of folks is not tied to your overall wellness. And even maybe specifically your mental wellness, depending on who I'm speaking to. And so in people's relationships, this 
sort of constant conflict or negotiation. Like, I'm really sad. I'm really freaked out. I'm really scared. But also, I want to do sexy things with you. Can I ask you about sexy things? Can I be sexual? Do I even feel sexual? I don't know. What do you think? Oh, we're not speaking about it? Okay, I don't know what to do with that. That there's all of these complex conversations that are either being had or not really spurring out of this idea that sex is its own separate unrelated space from the rest of our lives yeah well i also think that there is this undercurrent narrative of like having to do with sex as well as a million other things like how can you think about something as frivolous as x at a time like this right like you're being distracted, you're being indulgent. It's privileged that you have the space to, to like invest in your relationship. You know, like when people are dying and parents are being separated from their children or, you know, like that there, I think there is a lot of guilt and shame that's coming along with this particular moment as well. Absolutely. It's so shaming, right? You might as well say like, how could you, you disgusting human? Because that's that's what we heard. Yeah. And like, how does that how does that help any of this? I talk a lot about the different ways that we can be connected to ourselves and to other people. It came out of research that I've been doing over the past two years on our experiences of trauma and what that means for healing and wellness and how do we kind of decolonize our understanding of the ways we exist in the world. Being sexual is one of the ways that we connect to our world and is just as meaningful as or can be just as meaningful as our social connections or our spiritual connections or our recreational connections. So anything that we do for like leisure or rest or fun, mm-hmm. but that all, all of these systems are interconnected and very in significance and access person to person but it doesn't mean that any one is not as overall significant as the other so if our society is going through a period of emotional harm then our sexual wellness is still important and maybe if we have more access to wellness in one area over another like if i have access to orgasm when my spiritual life feels really complicated i i'm feeling really stressed and confused about you know why we're even here and what the point of it all is if i have access to pleasure or peace in one other area of my life why wouldn't that be a good thing Exactly. Why wouldn't that be a thing that we celebrate? Like, oh, yeah, like this space is hard and I can still do this other thing that helps me feel more centered so that I can tolerate or find creative solutions for or just build community in the places that are hard. Yeah. You know, we had on the wonderful Hannah Blank right after the election and Mm -hmm. we talked about pleasure as resistance and the idea that like so much of the politics that is oppressing and damaging and stressing out so many of us right now are about literally separating us from each other keeping us afraid of each other keeping us angry at each other and suspicious of each other and sometimes literally forcibly separating us and breaking down our connections and our our families and our our relationships and so anything that we can do that builds connection, that builds our sense of pleasure and affirmation in the world, like I actually think makes us stronger for the fight. 
Absolutely. And even if you're not invested in fighting or any sort of active act of resistance, please know that that's the way that we're wired. We are wired for connectedness. We always talk about how significant our survival instinct is. Well, one of our primary expressions of survival, if you were to believe in any sort of evolutionary science, is the need and desire to be a part of community. Yeah. And so to break that down is actually counter to our experience of survival. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So mental health is a huge category. <laughs> so maybe you can help us understand some of the mental health challenges that people have that tend to most impact their sexual experiences one way or another. Yeah, I'm going to circle that a little bit uh, in that I tend to talk more about mental wellness than mental health, but I'll speak to both uh, just to clarify kind of why. So when we think mental health, we usually go straight to pathology because that's kind of how we do health in this culture, yeah. right? That whenever we say health, instantly we go to all like the negative, air quotes, negative stuff. So health has been, you know, commodified and used in terms of like diet culture and ableism and all kinds of other, you know, really fruitful conversations that we're probably not going to get into today. But what we do talk about on the show, absolutely. But you, yeah. you absolutely do talk about on the show. So everyone listen to every episode ever. <laughs> or you could just start by going back to like Rebe the episode I did earlier this season with Rebecca Scritchfield. Yes, that too. Yeah. <laughs> Although every episode ever, for sure. Yeah. Let's start with every episode ever and then go to Rebecca's episode. <laughs> okay. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> And so when we think of mental health, we then think of like diagnoses. So depending on what your sort of familiarity is, you might be thinking about things that show up in the DSM. For folks who might require or find use of a label for their experiences, the DSM can be used for that. Mm -hmm. It is also historically used for been used for a lot of harm and yeah. giving people labels that they don't feel good about or pathologize experiences that are not pathology like homosexuality yeah or being trans identified in any way yeah so mental health 
kind of sets up a binary like do you have mental health yes or no are you mentally healthy or are you mentally ill yeah and so the wellness frame helps you get around that absolutely so when i think about mental wellness and how it shows up in the work that i do and how it relates to people's sexual lives Quite often folks are coming in saying, I feel disconnected from my body. I feel disconnected from my partner. I feel really depressed. And from that experience of depression, I am unable to experience anticipation or desire or pleasure. I don't feel my body or I don't feel anything or I feel all of the things. And so the idea of connecting or the experience of other levels of connection feel completely overwhelming and shut me down. Often folks come into my office, I experience along this spectrum of mental wellness, I end up talking a lot about shame because it's hard to be well and filled with shame at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so that's almost a universal experience when folks are coming in in crisis around their sexual lives. I am almost always helping them navigate shame. How do you help them navigate shame? I think first recognizing where the shame exists in their life, because it's not always rooted in sex, right? You can have shame about all kinds of stuff and recognizing how they get there. So I I often imagine shame as this sort of pit that we fall into or sometimes climb down into unknowingly. I don't think anyone has ever chosen shame as an experience. It's learned. It's been sort of wired into our culture. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we're shoved into that pit. Yeah. You know, hey, how's it going? Kicks into pit. You know, did you lose weight? Did you gain weight? (sighs) Hey, you're blah, 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 blah. Now I feel like. I'm being personally attacked. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Right. That we, especially when it comes to sort of female identified bodies, yeah. any talk about the body at all is putting you right on the precipice of shame, you know, too attractive, not attractive enough. We could say almost anything because we've made bodies and, you know, feminine bodies just such a breeding ground for an experience of shame, not inherently so, but have just put everyone kind of deeply at risk for falling in. Yeah. So helping people recognize, right, what messages get them into the pit and where they come from, and then starting to unlearn the validity or truth to those messages, because underneath all of them is this really common sort of narrative that, People will reject me or are rejecting me. I think a a thing that I like to share that maybe some folks have heard already, but the difference between guilt and shame so that you can hear it and know it. Guilt says, I did something bad, and so I feel bad. And so that can be useful to a degree, right? You holding yourself accountable to things that you have done Mm. that maybe have caused harm. Shame is the experience that I did something bad and I am bad. Oh, that's very clear. Right. So, of course, a bad thing happened either to me or around me, involving me because of me, because I am inherently bad in some way. There is something about me that is so untowards that if anybody truly knew 
absolutely I would be excommunicated from my society and be alone. And I, I probably should be alone. And yet, when you say it like that, it sounds so extreme. And of course it, it is. And yet every one of us carries around that feeling about something. Oh, yeah. We all absolutely do it. And we don't know that that's where it's coming from. And it's building off of that evolutionary wiring that I talked about earlier, that one of the ways we code survival is in community. And so our learning of, of shame culturally in some ways was designed as a mechanism to keep us in survival because it makes it feel really awful to be disconnected from other people. It's one of the worst things we can imagine, which is why it's one of our biggest fears. Absolutely. I ex I imagine that shame is one of the most painful experiences we could go through. And yet we're all going through it. And we all <laughs> go through it. We all go through it and we don't talk about it because we absolutely don't want anyone to see our shame because parts of us still believe that if anyone were to know, they would reject us. Yeah. Whew, it's deep. It's deep. It is deep. But now I want to talk a little bit about the good stuff because I feel like mm -hmm. most of the conversation around sex and mental health or mental wellness, which I like that reframe quite a lot, has to do with how our sex lives are negatively impacted by whatever instabilities or challenges we're facing in our emotional lives. But I feel like sex can also be helpful and supportive and healing. When you work with your clients, do you sometimes prescribe sexual connection? Or I don't know exactly what the right word is for that as a way of helping them with their other challenges? Yeah, rather than prescribing, I permit. I give people permission to do things that they already know feel good, but that for whatever reason they haven't been engaging in, whether it's competitive time and so people always use framing like making time and despite time being a construct I'm very clear with folks you cannot make it <laughs> 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 you know shifting the frame from making time to protecting time oh. you know for things that bring you pleasure helping folks expand their definition of what sex is because people start the timer on when we started having sex as like the the moment that you know, my genitals started experiencing pleasure and sex is so much bigger than that for almost everyone I've ever encountered. And there might be folks where that literally is where sex stops. And I want to normalize that as an experience as well. And also say that for the vast majority of folks I have encountered, sex can start with the text message that you sent me yesterday that got me thinking that I might want to have sex with you tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or sex started with the fact that you ordered dinner before I got home. And I like that. It made me feel sort of loved and taken care of and, yeah, and seen. Yeah, or yeah. whatever it made you feel. Thankful that you don't have to go into the kitchen. You know, <laughs> so what, whatever that is. And so also giving people permission, as I said earlier, to just be permission to to be themselves and to like what they like how they like it in the ways that they like it with whom they like it when they like it and to not wait until we're not damaged to enjoy our lives right like to not wait until we feel we've reached real stable mental wellness to then have a sex life 
and even to to track like what we even think that means right who's like whose message is that whose model of wellness are we mapping ourselves against like what are the criteria for what it takes for you to be desired or desirous giving people permission to to author their own narrative and so as part of that permission giving it also is really important to me to get to free people from accountability from the sins of the systems that we exist within so we live in systems that exist patriarchy capitalism you know cis sexism all of these systems that dictate whom we are supposed to be and how we are supposed to be those things and then when we don't measure up because most of us cannot, that we then are taking strikes off of ourselves and experiencing ourselves in ways that are really not conducive to us experiencing peace and pleasure. For example, let's use men in this example. So I have a lot of men whom I work with who will come in and talk about how they aren't doing enough to inspire sex from their partners. And so it would be very easy for us to sort of follow that conversation and think about, okay, well, what are you doing? What aren't you doing? What is your partner saying? Blah, 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 blah. When often what they're actually doing or thinking about are all of these models that come directly out of patriarchy around who men are supposed to be and what masculinity is supposed to look like. It's supposed to be aggressive. It's supposed to be pursuant. It's supposed to be provisional, right? That men's sexuality is really tied to this sort of need to be seen as successful, mm -hmm. whether that's socially successful or sexually successful. And so when we bring that more directly into this sex conversation and how I might work with someone is really tracking, okay, tell me what that means. You know, my partner isn't really into me. I said, tell me what that means. Tell me how you know that. And they'll say things, you know, about, well, she doesn't want sex as much as I do. And so that means that, you know, she doesn't really like me or she's not really into me. You know, when we were having sex, she started to get dry. And that means that, you know, whatever else. And so then we probe that deeper. Where did you learn that? Who mm -hmm. told you that? What else did you learn? Who supports that? And then being able to do some psychoed, connecting them to other pieces of information, right? Here's how bodies that don't look like your bodies can work. Here are all of the possibilities that exist outside of the story that you have about your experiences and not to shame them for the story because they didn't make it up. Yes. That's why it's one of my questions in the lightning round every, every week is sort of like all of us grow up with stuff that doesn't work. Yeah, like who lives close enough to a Krispy Kreme to have donuts for sex every time? <laughs> you know, one of the things that Joellen said on the last show that has really stuck with me is that she's found in her own experience and also in her experience of talking to other folks with depression that oftentimes the sexual partners who are the best at rolling with her stuff or, you know, like the way depression is interacting with her sex, her libido and, or her availability for sex are partners who have their own challenges to their mental wellness. Mm 
and that more sort of even killed neurotypical folks sometimes don't have the understanding, you know, and it's harder for them to learn what their partner needs and to sort of be flexible and adaptive and, and those sorts of things. And and I found that so delightfully counterintuitive, right? Like if you hadn't spent any time thinking about it, you would think, well, two people with mental health challenges together would be double the challenge, right? Yeah. Um, and so I... I've just have been thinking about that a lot. And I, and I wonder, what's your advice to partners and how do you support partners around this stuff? The shortest possible answer is to not personalize other people's experience of their mental wellness. How do you do that, though? Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it goes back to this shame stuff. What is often happening when we have folks on different places in their mental wellness having a hard time negotiating their sexual lives is that one person often starts to feel like the other person's mental wellness is a result of something they are or aren't doing. So that might call in, you know, what you were saying earlier about sort of maybe neurotypical folks, if we want to use that language, or folks who are not experiencing the same sort of mental health or mental wellness experience as their partner is doing everything they can to be helpful, to be supportive, and also wants to feel things like desired and may want to do things that their partner is not in a place to be interested in. And they start to play their shame narrative under that. And they don't choose that. That's just the way it operates, right? When we can't get things that we feel like we want or need, that frustration point is hard to tolerate. And it starts to call in shame because we start to look for reasons why Mm. we cannot make this situation different. That has been so real for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's universal. I always need to make meaning out of things like constantly. Yeah. It's universal because it's terrifying to have needs be unmet and have no idea why. And so we start to personalize it because we are kind of the best answer that we have. It's really not useful for our sexual lives to personalize in that way. And so if we can continue to get good at hearing those messages when they come up and confronting them and challenging them and or share them, it can help us from either getting into the pit at all or at least keep us from getting so deep into it because then what ends up happening is that we end up so disconnected from our partners and on the other end our partner is often feeling guilt because they can see us descending Mm. or see their partners descending into that space and feel responsible for that and then over time their guilt also becomes shame why can't I just be more well why can't I be different why can't I be better why can't I feel more sexual If anyone wanted to know what the least sexy thing ever is, it's shame. Shame is the boner killer. It is. It is the (laughs) ultimate in unsexy. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, I've been on both sides of that downward spiral. What are some top level thoughts about like, how do you interrupt that downward spiral where somebody's feeling neglect and shame because of that and then the other person feels guilty and like the sex life goes all the way down the toilet because everybody feels all these very unsexy anti-sexy things yeah i like for people to try and break the cycle with either peace or pleasure and so i encourage folks and it's a whole process that we do to really explore 
all of the possibilities of their lives and really be thinking about all of the things that bring them peace and pleasure and to have those knowings at the ready, whatever that means. So if you can hold that stuff in your mind, cool. If you need some sort of visual representation, cool. If you need to have a person in your life that can be the holder of that knowing that you can tap into and be like, whoa, I'm feeling a mess. Rescue. But to do something different with your brain, with your energy, things that re-center you, things that re-ground you, things that bring you back into the honesty of who you are and what you bring to the world. So if that's something that's peaceful, maybe you are, you know, speaking peace, right, countering those messages and speaking kindly to yourself or getting around people who will do that with or for you. Maybe it's doing something that is relaxing or restful and also pleasure, right? What makes you feel good? It doesn't have to be the thing that makes you feel great. But if you have something that you like, television show, food, your bed, a texture, a sound, something you like to look at, something you want to learn or feel good about knowing. There are so many possibilities and shame when we're in that pit or when we're going down, it starts to limit and constrict our creativity, which is why we end up in these big divides around sex and negotiation once we encounter shame. We can no longer negotiate. And then how do you have good sex from a place that is void of negotiation? Mm -mm. And so to encourage folks to really get to know more about you and the things that feel good to and for you so that you can be using those as tools you already have to combat shame. Yes. Well, Shadeen Francis, thank you for coming on Unscrewed and helping us think about promoting our own and our partner's mental wellness through and around sex. I think that uh, this is a wonderful note to end the Unscrewed season on and hopefully you'll suffer to help people have a good summer while we're on hiatus. Where can people find you online? What are you up to these days? What should people know about you? Tell us everything. I am facilitating a retreat with many of your listeners might have heard of Afrosexology. Yeah. It's Delisha Shaw and, and Rafaela. I'm going to pronounce her last name wrong. Fialo. But Delisha and I have uh, a retreat that we are facilitating for sexuality educators called Orgasm. And it is about building business strategies because we know that there is so much information and there is such a wealth of knowledge within our communities, but sex has never historically been considered a business. There's always been work and there's always mm -hmm. been profit, but we don't get the same access to, you know, a, a business system that other fields do, right? What does marketing look like? How do you grow an audience? All that sort of stuff. And so rather than all of us feeling like we have to reinvent the wheel, it is a Skillshare retreat. So it's mastermind style. We all get together and we all lead a portion of the event teaching our greatest strength back to our community. We have active workshops. We have fun things like burlesque planned. Um, so our cohort will be um, in New Orleans this August, but we will be bringing more retreats in the new year. And how can folks get connected with that? So you can find that at sssretreats.com. So sexuality skillshare retreats is what um, those S's are for. So sssretreats.com. 
by the time this is live, my website should be updated with a link to that as well. My website is my name, shadeenfrancis.com. And if folks want to have any kind of conversations with me or be in relationship to me in other ways, a good place to attempt that would be Twitter. I'm an introverted person, so my my <laughs> logging into Twitter is a little bit sporadic, but once anyone initiates a conversation with me, I'm in. So if anyone would like to be in community um, or just you know, muse at my broadcasting of thoughts, as is what happens on Twitter, you can totally follow me there. It's my name as well, Shadeen Francis. Fantastic. And you can also find me on Twitter. I am at Jacqueline F, J-A-C-L-Y-N-F. I'm Jacqueline Fable on Instagram. And you can also find me on my website, which is JacquelineFriedman.com. Keep up with all the stuff I'm up to this summer. Like I said, this is our last show for the season, Unscrewed Nation. So definitely come find me and chat on social media. You can email me at unscrewed at JacquelineFriedman.com. Send me your thoughts and desires for new shows for the new season in the fall. I love, love hearing from you. I will definitely be running some sort of reruns in the hiatus although there will also be some weeks when you're just gonna have to miss me i'm sorry i need a little break you can find unscrewed wherever podcasts are available apple podcasts acast stitcher now is a great time to make sure you're subscribed so that you know when we come back for the fall season you don't miss out and lose track don't want to lose track of you and of course while you're in there you know what i want you to do give us five stars give us a little review the end of the season is a great time if you appreciated all the content i brought to you this winter and spring uh it's a great time to literally if you write one or two sentences and give the show five stars it really helps pick up new listeners unscrewed is produced and edited by yours truly jacqueline friedman our in and out music is by the pink tiles and our cover art is by nicole dadana and was produced in collaboration with the establishment who also developed the sound cues Until this fall, Unscrewed Nation, I am wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. How would you like to look 5 years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.